You're listening to the Quality of Love Podcast, your home for all things love, relationship, and mental health. Hosted by nationally certified life and relationship coach, Tyrone Dixon. Sit back, relax, and get tips on creating the life you deserve without wasting any more time. Welcome to the Quality of Love podcast. I'm your host, Tyrone Dixon, nationally certified life and relationship coach, husband, father to two beautiful princesses, and CEO and founder of a Rose Through Concrete Consulting. Thank you guys for taking our time out to listen in with us tonight. We really appreciate it. We're back with another question and answer episode. Thank you all for all of the subscriptions, the downloads. Um, I'm starting to see more people in public and they're starting to mention the podcast a little bit too. So thank you. Seriously. Thank you. I can't say it enough. Thank you to everyone that's taking the time to listen, whether it was a long period of time or a short period of time. I really appreciate it. I also want to say if you have not gotten a chance to do so, I just did a uh, an episode of my very good friend, Jeff Franklin, a.k.a. Frankie J. Uh, he, he has a, an audio set on the Fireside app podcast kind of thing set up I'm not quite sure what fireside is just yet i know it's new um it's kind of an audio setup but i just did an episode on frankie j raw i was fortunate enough to kick the season off season two off with my good buddy jeff franklin we shared some laughs we shared a few memories um so go ahead and check that out <clears throat> excuse me i'll leave the link in the chat uh or i should say in the description of this episode of the podcast if you haven't gotten the fireside app or you don't know where to get it but it's definitely worth the listen. It, it felt good to reconnect with my friend Jeff. I hadn't connected with him in quite some time. He has a busy life, big balling over there, doing fireside chats and all of that stuff. And then, of course, you know, I'm I'm always involved or engaged in something. So it was a great catch-up kind of thing, and it, it was a good trip down memory lane. And I shared something with him on the, on the podcast that I'll share here as well, and that was um, – I'm really appreciative that I was able to have my first work, like actual professional work interactions with Jeff. And the reason why I say that is because he was very, he was very welcoming, right? And and I was very anxious going into um, work post college and 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 how I would be and if I would be successful in a professional setting. I just had a lot of nerves and trepidation, like like anybody coming out of college. And working with Jeff was really cool because it was like uh, he, him, and I have a similar humor, so it really just kind of broke down my defenses and broke down all those kind of negative thoughts I had about going into the work environment. And we were really, really successful. I don't know if there's there's statistics still, but if you look at any of our statistics, any of our stores that we worked at and selling Verizon files, we were successful. We used to do our thing. So uh, shout out to Jeff. Check that, that episode out on his fireside chat audio. I'll leave the description or I should say I'll leave the chat the conversation in the description check it out let me know what you all think and then we'll go from there all right i know you're here this evening to kick off this answering question and answer episode we're gonna hit on some narcissistic uh question and answers we're also going to talk a little bit about some relationship q a before we do that though i i had the the wonderful opportunity over the weekend to celebrate both my father as well as my mother uh in-law is it mother-in-law well my father's wife 
Uh, I call her Ma. Her name is Lois Jackson. I got to celebrate them over the weekend at a birthday party, and it was amazing. It was it was one of those moments I remember during the party and thinking that I'm extremely blessed to to have a family like I have. People who are outgoing, sociable, uh, get along well. There was no no threats of fighting, or I, there was not even an argument at the party. So I just I had a real dope experience at my dad and his wife's party. Man, I love both of them to death. They've been tremendous um, assets, and and they've added tremendous value, especially his wife, to my life since she's come into it. So shout out to them, uh, and and in spending time with my dad, I I, I have. <laughs> millions and millions of quotes that he's used with me over the years that has either stuck with me or something I want to get out of my head. But one of the things that my dad used to always say, and he still says it to this day, he actually recently said it um, when I won the 40 under 40 award. And I know this might sound um, a little off-putting to some people, but my father has a really uh, unique way of, of keeping me grounded and keeping me into perspective, right? So the quote that he shares with me whenever I accomplish something big or I, or I accomplish something that is is in our eyes huge and is, is able to progress and push our family forward, he always comes with the, the quotes, it's a small thing to a giant. And I'll repeat that quote that he shares with me, it's a small thing to a giant. And to some people that could be off-putting, but me and my father have, have a relationship where as such, he knows how to motivate me and he knows how to keep me focused. And that small, it's a small thing to a giant when I accomplish things. For me, he shares that with me and, and with the understanding that it helps me stay focused, right? It helps me put things in perspective like, yeah, I'm supposed to do these things, right? I'm supposed to be great. And he's always said this, like, I'm supposed to be great. I'm supposed to accomplish huge thing. I'm supposed to have um, great positive influence over people, right? So when my dad has shared those things with me or shares them to, with me today, it really gives me perspective and it allows me to lock in and focus a little more because I know there's so much more that I can accomplish. Um, I just barely scratching the surface on who I am, who I can be. Uh, with the help of the Lord and being a good person and a positive person. So he knows that. I know that. So I appreciate him whispering in my ear when I won the 40 under 40 award. It's a small thing to a giant because the reality is it really is. I have so many more things that I want to accomplish. Um, I have so many more tricks up my sleeve, so to speak. So really, my dad is is a master at, at helping me stay focused and a master at keeping me in, in terms of um not allowing my ego to take over, keeping me in line, keeping my ego in check. And I love and I appreciate him for that. So, Dad, I love you. That's not the only jewel that I have from you, but that's one of my favorites. Happy birthday. Let's get to the show now. All right, let's get into exposing some of this narcissistic behavior in relationships. Question number one, how does an empathic parent cope with a narcissistic adult child once again that question is how does an empathic parent cope with a narcissistic adult child this can be one of the the more difficult things to do and handle as a parent and actually i'm i'm going to be transparent in the podcast i actually pray quite often that i never end up in a situation where my children feel like they need to be narcissistic um, or extremely self-absorbed. That's one of the things that I try to be mindful of as I'm going through and progressing through my whole parenthood journey is just 
all of the things that could possibly create a narcissistic child. And I wouldn't want that as an adult right now, given given your situation and to answer your question uh, in the most authentic way I could possibly answer it. You have to establish and learn to set boundaries. And maybe maybe you need the assistance of a therapist, a life coach, an individual to give you an additional perspective. Right. Maybe they can give you specific techniques to deal with your narcissistic adult child. But the moral of the story is you you have to find a way to establish some boundaries and some pretty firm ones with with adult children, because in a lot of cases, if you let that go on, like your narcissistic adult control the relationship for a long period of time, it can feel like you have a narcissistic partner that you're dealing with. Right. With the demands that they they want um, or with the demands that they may have. So you want to start to establish some extremely firm boundaries. You can start by, if you don't feel comfortable and strong yourself, you can start by seeking out uh, some help from a therapist, coach, any professional, right, to to get some perspective on it. Um, but that'll be the biggest thing, right? With narcissistic adult children, they really think that you're you're a possession, right? You're a part of them and they own you and they can control you. So you have to find a way to break away from that that thought process and that ideology that your child has and establish some firm boundaries right when you call me at this time or if you call me after eight o'clock i'm not going to answer the phone right or if you think that you're going to come and tell me how i'm going to spend my money i'm not doing that right the more you tell them no at first it can be extremely um trepidatious it can be extremely uh scary to venture down those avenues but i can assure you the more you tell them no in the long run, the better off you'll be. The other thing that, and and I'm sure as a parent that you struggle with this, but the other thing that you have to think about and having a narcissistic adult child as a parent is that you're not helping this individual to, to be able to successfully have other relationships outside of you and the relationships that they do have outside of you will probably be relationships in which they're manipulating another individual or they're controlling their partner, right? So there's really a trickle-down effect to you not establishing boundaries, and that trickle-down effect can result in someone else getting hurt because your adult child doesn't have the necessary boundaries to move forward in life and not be narcissistic. Question number two, what is the cycle of life with a narcissist? Once again, that question is, what is the cycle of life with a narcissist? Love that question, by the way. First, it'll start off as a narcissistic individual is, is extremely charming. Though, typically, what when I've worked with either nar- people who are in relationship with narcissistic individuals or display narcissistic behavior, or people who think they may have some narcissistic characteristics or trait within themselves, typically, the, the life cycle goes from them being an extremely charming individual when you first meet them. So someone who meets your needs, an individual who you feel like you can have a lasting relationship with. Eventually, now the time where stage two comes into play varies because it's really dependent upon them feeling completely comfortable in your presence and vice versa, right? So once they start to feel like they got you completely hooked on them, you're, you're kind of codependent on them in a relationship, that's when you start to see phase two. 
In phase two, they won't be a full-blown narcissist, but you'll start to see them display narcissistic behaviors. Small, subtle things that they do include telling you things like, well, you don't need to hang out with your family or friends. You need to spend more time with me or we need to spend more time together. Um, or you don't need to do that, or you don't need to engage in your goals. How about you spend more time with me, right? So phase two tends to be like, oh, you just spend more time with me, spend more time with me. As we do that in relationship, that person is just waiting for step number three or phase number three, in which they can show you the full-blown narcissistic individual. It's at that point they no longer care about being charming, being good people, or they no longer care about your needs and what you need, right? It's all about them. They've felt comfortable or feel comfortable enough displaying their full narcissistic characteristics and traits. And now you see it. And then the fourth phase is tricky um, because it's, it's really dependent upon you, the individual that's in the relationship with a narcissist. So it'll come a phase where you either accept that you're in a relationship with a narcissistic individual and you just kind of accept their behaviors, that's where you hear people say, well, that's just how they are, or I'm married to this person, and that's how they've always been, right, without giving any thought to to that person changing or even being willing to change because they're in a relationship. And then the, there's the other piece of an individual uh, gains the courage and strength, and they leave a narcissistic individual. And in that instance, again, that's that's a phase four. It can go one of two ways. If you decide that you have the courage to leave that narcissistic individual during phase four, then what you'll see next is them going out to to look for another supply. If you have decided that you really, really, really won't be with them. Right. Because all narcissists, it's, it's guaranteed that they'll try to get you back. Um, in some way, shape or form. Right. So they'll keep kind of throwing little strings out and hooks out for you to try to gravitate to or catch on to. And if you don't, then they start to go look for another supply. Question number four, do narcissists really believe the things they are, they say when they're being exposed or are they trying to hurt you and project? Once again, that question is, do narcissists really believe the things they say? When they're trying or when they're being exposed or are they trying to hurt you and project? Yeah, I, I would go with the latter of those two things. Most in most cases, when an individual who is a narcissistic or has narcissistic traits, behaviors, when they're exposed or when you put them on the spot, um, that puts them in a spot where or in a position where they get extremely defensive and then they start th to say things that will hurt you or project things upon you and make you feel like, oh, well, maybe I shouldn't expose them or maybe I shouldn't have pressed that button or tick them off in some way, shape or form. So, yes, yeah, the, the latter in every case, they they are well aware of what they're saying. And they're also well aware of the fact that what they're saying is probably not true, but they know it'll hurt you and it'll cause you to be sad. So they're going to use whatever they can to kind of keep you dependent upon them and maintain that codependent relationship. Question number five, how does the mistress of a narcissist feel towards their relationship? Once again, that question is, how does a mistress of a narcissist feel towards their relationship? This is really a, 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 a individually individual based kind of kind of question. But what I'll say 
for the individuals that I've worked with that have been mistresses or side chicks to an individual who they know um, are narcissists or narcissistic. They feel like eventually that man or woman will come around to them and, and want to be with them and be able to handle their needs and supply whatever needs that they have. Um, so they're pretty much in the same boat as the, the primary partner in that instance, right? They're just waiting for this person to eventually come around to to being the love of their life, to being someone who they can have a lasting relationship with, when in all actuality, I'm just being frank, I've never seen that happen, right? If you are a mistress to a narcissistic individual, you tend to get treated in the same manner that their primary partner tends to get treated. And in a lot of cases, the mistress might think that, oh, well, once they leave their partner, they'll be fully committed to me. And that the, the reality is that they're not right. They're going to continue to display a lot of those same behaviors. And now the mistress becomes the primary partner and is dealing with a lot of those issues. And now it, it's kind of like a revolving door because the narcissistic person will find someone to replace the mistress. And once the mistress becomes the primary partner, right? So it's, it's, it's a revolving door. It's a dangerous game to play. But the reality is the mistress probably feels just as um, valued or wanted as the primary partner. And the fact remains that that person is probably just having their cake and eating it too. Question number six, how can you tell if a narcissist is using you? Once again, that question is, how can you tell if a narcissist is using you? Quite simply um, put, the, the quickest way that I identify if an individual is a narcissist and if they're using anyone is I um, I ask them to meet my needs. Right. So if I have a need in the situation, for example, if I if I'm engaging with an individual who's a narcissist and they they love going out, they love being the center of attention and so on and so forth, I might ask them to come to a quiet dinner, right, with me and engage in that manner. And just little things like that that I enjoy doing. And if I find that that person is saying, no, no, I want to do what I want to do or you're going to do what I want to do, then chances are they have some narcissistic behaviors or characteristics within them. Once I realize that, I would just take it a step further and just say, no, this is what we're doing. Or I, I give a little compromise and say, okay, on this day we can do this. On another day, this is what I want to do. And if they're resistant to that, then automatically that's not a person I want in my life because they're extremely self-absorbed and they're only interested in doing things that they want to do and have no interest in meeting my needs. All right, let's help a few people out on the relationship side of things tonight. Question number one. What should I do if my ex-fiance hasn't given me back my belongings or engagement ring after our breakup? Should I let her keep everything or should she return it? Once again, that question is, what should I do if my ex-fiance hasn't given me back my belongings or engagement ring after our breakup? Should I let her keep everything or should she return it? I'm of the belief and I might be in the minority. I'm realizing more and more nowadays that I am in the minority when it comes to this. I'm of the belief that you should let her keep everything. I'm a firm believer in energy, man. And I just feel like if if you get your belongings back from that situation or if you try to engage and try to get your belongings back from that situation, it won't end well. Right. Even if she gives them back 
ultimately, I think that that there's some negative energy associated with them and with that relationship not having been successful. So my personal opinion, I would say let her have everything, let her keep it kind of start new, start fresh. And this is this is also an opportunity for you not to have to look at an item of clothing she bought you or look at the engagement ring and say, man, if we could have just did this, it might have worked out. Or, man, if I could have just kept it up in this manner, it might not have worked out. Everything happens for a reason. Identify the lesson in the situation that you want to you want to extrapolate or take from and then use that lesson to move forward in all your other relationships. If, if you've gotten to the point in which you were engaged, I would imagine that you love um, you love that woman. Right. And you, you loved her pretty significantly. So we'll figure out what lesson you need to learn from that relationship and then apply them moving forward. Question number two, why does he still want to be friends and keep in touch with me after we broke up and he's moving away soon? Once again, that question is, why does he still want to be friends and keep in touch with me after we broke up and he he's moving away soon? Uh, I think that whenever you go somewhere, you enter in a new environment, you want at least some sense of, of normalcy or some sense of of knowing, right? Uh, a sense of knowing in the sense of kind of identifying something, you know. So in this instance, I'm of the opinion that he's trying to keep in touch so that when he does go to this unfamiliar place, he at least has a familiar voice that he can talk to over the phone or via text or via email. Right. Um if you're not comfortable with it, because this is the biggest, the biggest point of this, this whole conversation that I would say, if you're not comfortable with it, then I would say that you don't, you shouldn't settle, right? You shouldn't settle for that. If it's something that you want to completely move on from, identify that and completely move on from the situation. You don't have to feel bad because that person that you broke up with wants to still keep in touch and they're moving into a new place, right? I don't, I don't see a ton of benefit to that for you so i wouldn't if i didn't if you don't want to i should say then i wouldn't engage in that type of of interaction because i don't i don't see what it would do for you now if you're in a space where you can be friends with him then then go ahead because you can never have enough genuine friends in the world and if you were in a relationship that's probably going to be a good friend because they know a good amount about you and then finally, question number three. This is, I have to say, probably my favorite or at least one of my favorite questions that I've ever gotten on the Quality of Love podcast. And it reads, how do you communicate your needs and boundaries in a relationship while also being considerate of your partner's feelings? Once again, listen to this. How do you communicate your needs and boundaries in a relationship while also being considerate of your partner's feelings. That is that's just a beautiful question, man. I love it. I love the fact that you're you're you number one want to commute your communicate your feelings, but you're also being considerate of your partner's feelings. Again, that's one of the best questions that I've ever gotten on a quality of love. Thank you for for actually putting that out there and sharing that with me. Um, but the the simplest way to do what you're asking to do is to be authentic and genuine. One of the things that we do in relationships is we we kind of prop ourselves up or we put on masks to try to be ultra accommodating in a relationship. Once we identify our needs, all we really need to do is communicate them in a healthy manner to our partner. Right. Once you communicate those needs to your partner, 
Also offer them the opportunity to communicate their needs to you, right? What do they need? And I can guarantee you, if you're both committed to that relationship, you'll find a happy medium, right? And then I'll, I'll, I'll usually share this for the end of the episode, but I'll share this with you now. My five elements to a lasting relationship, right? If you have these things, I can guarantee you that this conversation, it'll be easy and the anxiety and what you're giving to it, it won't be necessary, right? So if you have trust, if you trust your partner, right, you trust them to be able to communicate their needs to you and then also be able to have their needs or your needs communicated as well, right? That brings to part number two, dialogue. Right. There's where the communication comes into play, because if you're only communicating your needs, your partner's not or doesn't have the opportunity to be receptive and listen and then come back and communicate their needs. Right. So in the communication, there has to be dialogue, express your needs, have them express their needs and then meet in the middle. Find a happy medium. Number three. Knowing your partner's love and apology language, right? So, yes, knowing how to love on them in a way that they feel valued, but then also knowing how to apologize to them in a way that they feel valued. What that does is it automatically creates a safe space for both of you in a relationship to be able to have these needs considerate conversations. Number four, the ability to shift with the dynamics that are ever changing in the world Right. There's going to be something that comes about or, or takes place in your relationship that shift the dynamics. Just pre- be prepared to shift with them. And then here's the best part for this conversation that you're going to have unconditional acceptance. Right. So maybe you don't get the answer you want to get right away in terms of needs being met, but accept your partner for who they are and know that they're working to be the best person that they can be on a daily basis. That's it. That's all I have this evening. Thank you all again for listening, downloading, subscribing. I appreciate it. I appreciate the love. Don't forget the quality of love and relationships that you have in your life will determine the quality of your life. Peace and love.